Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Taking the Fields, a 24-7 sports podcast. I'm your host, John Fields, and joining me today is Matthew Bruni. Man, how are you doing today? I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're recording this on a Sunday morning. Um, we got an hour, an extra hour of sleep because the clocks moved back, and I didn't know that. So it was like two in the morning, and then it was one in the morning again. I was like, oh, this is this is the greatest thing ever. So and then I went to sleep and I was like, I could sleep. I got like eight hours of sleep. So I'm not complaining here. I'm doing great. How about you? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. I love getting that extra hour of sleep, especially after what was, you know, at least a fun slate of college football. We see another, you know, weird North Texas game. But then I watched a lot of that Alabama LSU game that you were covering. And that one at least had some fun to it as well, even if LSU couldn't pull it out in the end. So yeah wild wild game but yeah it's uh the started with the the north texas game at two which um i think we can start just with a quick recap and then i want you to kind of lead us into it but for for southern miss to start the game 14-0 austin on the interception on the second on second drive basically at the game um and I, we all thought it was like it was kind of over at that point we were like this is this is it this is where it happens this is where the team just collapses um even though we know how bad Southern Miss is and we know Southern Miss is not a good team, but I, I kind of, I tweeted this. I was like, you know, Southern Miss, um, North Texas has enough talent to where they should be beating Southern Miss on a consistent basis um, this year, at least. Um, and defensively they locked up, didn't allow a point for the rest of the game. So credit to the defense, um, credit to the run game and North Texas comes out with 38, 14 win, just a, a solid effort on the road. And I, I don't have too many complaints here. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think we learned a crazy amount about this team, except for the fact that they were able to at least rally after, I mean, probably the worst start you can imagine. I mean, first you give up the touchdown to Southern Miss, which I wanted to touch on because I think it was Deshaun Gaddy got beat over the top playing corner. John Davis Jr. was supposed to be available for this game, but I don't think I saw him play at all. So I don't know what the deal was there. He's been out with an injury, but at any rate, Gaddy gets beat over the top. And I I watched the play back because I was like, well, what's happening? Maybe he's expecting safety help. It just looked like a guy that hasn't played a lot of corner because he was so far lined up inside of the receiver just from the jump and never even made contact with the guy. The receiver just runs, I guess, to Gaddy's left, the receiver's right, just goes straight to the corner of the end zone, blows past him, and it's an easy, you know, catch for a touchdown. There's an argument to be had whether he was inbounds completely or not, but at the end of the day, it was just awful coverage on that play. And then we get to the Ani interception on the next drive, which, man, I was watching the play, and I was like, even if that pass gets through and isn't tipped at the line of scrimmage, like, where is it going? There's two other Southern Miss guys back there covering the receiver that one of those guys had jumped the route to and was probably going to pick it off regardless. So, like, I mean, I just didn't understand what was happening there at all. It you kind of summarized the entire passing off game of North Texas. And that is like, I just don't know where that was going. <laughs> yeah. That's what it just felt like. Um, but after the interception, like I said, the defense obviously locks down um, and forces, what is it? Six straight punts. Uh, then they forced a fumble. Then they had a turnover on downs, a punt and another fumble. So that's the rest of the game there. And you look at it, Southern Miss didn't have a drive, had one drive of over five plays basically for the rest of the game. And I do want to start, I think we should start with the defense because I do think the defense is what won them this game. 
um, two defensive touchdowns, let alone, I think one, one was returned by Katie Davis. One was returned by one of the Murphys. I don't remember which yeah, one. Grayson Murphy, Grayson Murphy. Um, and I, I, I do want to credit this defense because we've been kind of, I've been hard on them to a degree. Um, we've never doubted their talent. Um, and they, we do know they've been injured. So, you know, the situation isn't ideal, but, you know, been on there for penalties, been on them, um, for lack of discipline, just basic mistakes in the coverage, but there and there were a couple penalties to, to this um, on Saturday. So I'm not going to completely absolve them of that. But this defense is way too talented to not be able to compete with anybody in the conference. They should be able to compete with, I mean, barring I guess UTSA, like UTEP, like you go through the teams, UAB, La Tech. I think they. This defense is good enough to where they shouldn't be giving up 40 points. They shouldn't be giving up even, I don't think, over 35. And with that being said, I think we saw the last two games, Rice and Southern Miss, we saw that this defense is as talented as we expected it to be. This defense is, um, I mean, the defensive line alone, Grayson Murphy, Gabriel Murphy, Deion Noville, I think Caleb Colvin's having a solid season. I think um, Rod Brown's having a solid season. There's the defensive line alone is just dominating these offensive lines in conference USA. And we saw the last two games when you go against subpar competition, um, just how good they are, because when you go against these two teams, it's like, it doesn't matter what Rice or Southern Miss was doing. They didn't have time in the pocket and they couldn't run the ball. Right. Um, yeah. Frank Gore did bust a couple runs. So I'm not going to say he was completely obviously held in check. He had 82 yards on 12 carries. So good day from him, but Still, I, I was impressed with how the defensive line played, and I think that kind of just starts everything for this team. Oh, I 100% agree with that. Um, Gore did have, I think, his biggest run of the game. It was like a 38-yarder uh, on that one Southern Miss touchdown drive. But outside of that, it didn't really break free for a ton of big stuff. So credit to the defense for making some adjustments, evidently, and being able to slow him down. The one stat, and I agree with you, I think this was probably – one of the best, if not the best performance we've seen from the defense this year. I mean, you know, the competition they're going against, but whatever. They came through 229 yards allowed is the fewest they've allowed all season, which I thought was kind of the standout number for me. Um, and they did. They just found a way to really get a bunch of stops in a row. You talked about forcing six punts in a row. The two defensive touchdowns, I think, was the first time that's happened since like 2017, I think, was when it happened or 18. Well, one 2017. 2017 was the first was the last time they had a fumble return for a touchdown. Um, right, I believe right. it, I believe it was because um, I was in the UTEP game. I remember. Well, I don't remember if that was if they had two in that game. So I don't know if that's if that was how that went or whatnot. But yeah, still the turnovers were, were just a, a huge deal off the edge. No, they were. It was it was definitely a big thing. I thought. I mean, Katie Davis had one of those fumble returns for a touchdown, and I thought he was solid again I mean not an 18 tackle performance like last week but you can't ever really follow up something like that uh with you know the same level of performance and that was just a weird game in general against Rice in yeah. terms of tackles but KD was good Tyreek Davis was all over the field once again um you know the defensive backfield aside from the one lapsed from Gaddy it seemed like they held up at least decently well I mean didn't allow any touchdowns after that so I can't really harp on them too much the guys that they got out there Ridge Tejada, Deshaun Gaddy, Mikhail Sanders, Sean Thomas Faulkner playing safety now. Seems like that's where he's going to be, yeah. at least for a bit, until those corners get healthy. So credit to those guys. They made, you know, 
they made enough of the routine plays as Latrell likes to call them to get the job done. Yeah, and they're fighting. Um, we knew coming into the game, Southern Miss offense was was very um, deficient in a lot of areas. But I do think their ability to not let them move at all is commendable, right? Like, even though yes, Southern Miss's offense isn't good, they've had eight quarterbacks <laughs> take snaps this year. Though they said uh, just yeah. an insane number. So I mean, we knew it wasn't. I I just I think I my final score prediction was twenty four fourteen. Um, and after Southern Miss went up 14-0, you texted me. You're like, well, are they go our predictions? And I agreed with you. <laughs> I agreed. I was like, yeah, it's pretty much over. And But the defense locked down. They held them to 14 as as he expected. I mean, and I, seven of those are obviously on the pick six. So defense did its job. Um, I want to give credit to the linebackers because I've been hard on the linebackers outside of K- KD. I, Kevin Wood stepped in, played well. Tyreek Davis, who I know is a nickel technically, but I'm going to call him a linebacker um, in this instance. Um, nine tackles, two tackles for loss. Um, just a really solid performance from him. Larry Nixon as well. He forced one of the fumbles, up, I believe. No, no, no. Rod Brown forced one in. Who forced the other one? They don't even have it on here. Regardless. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was an, an impressive performance from the linebackers along with the defense line, and it kind of made life easy on the secondary. So I don't have any real complaints. Um, I was cool with the scheme. I'm, I was cool with the blitzes. I was cool with the man on the outside whenever they ran it. Um, there's just not, there wasn't much Southern Miss could do besides turn around and hope Frank Gore broke a long run. So um, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. I was, I was happy with it. So no, no complaints from me. Fair enough. Game. Fair enough. Well, and I will say if we want to stay on the positive side, I completely forgot to mention this stat, but after Southern Miss gets those two touchdowns, North Texas scores 38 unanswered points. I don't know when the last time is you could say that happened, which is just, Never. absurd no matter who you're going against to score 38 unanswered so credit to those guys for that um I you know I don't want to be too negative but again I think we know who this offense is and I think we saw flashes again in the receiving core the Travion Brown had a solid game one of those big catches after they threw I think three straight go routes had two of them fall incomplete and finally complete the third but I think we, you know, we saw the same thing we have all year, which is the issue with this offense isn't the lack of playmakers, it's the quarterback. Yeah, 100%. I, I, Austin Ani is, to me, he's just not not good enough. Um, and we, we've said the time after time, I don't think this is a secret. I don't think it's all. I also don't think it's beating a dead horse because you literally can't run an offense efficiently if, you, if your quarterback just can't, you know, complete some passes down the field um, on a consistent basis. Uh, he ends up 16 of 30 for 216 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. Um, it was I, I saw there was a graph on Twitter of all the G5 quarterbacks, and he was still one of one of the worst. I mean, it's it's tough for me to come in here and and I because I really think the defense won this game, plain and simple. Yeah. The defense did everything. Um, I'm giving them most of the credit. Um, and for Austin Ani. He doesn't throw for a touchdown here. Again, Jason Pirtle, Travion Brown, Damon Ward, Rod Burns are the four top receivers. Um, you know, it looks like Pirtle – who's leading this team in receiving right now? Is Pirtle leading the team in receiving? I actually don't have the stats from you. Um, I'll let you get that up while I while – I, Yeah, yeah, I'll pull it up. Um, but, it, again, it's, it's the rushing game, right? It's the run game. And that's that's where I've always been like – this this year has been such a pain for the offense in a lot of – in a lot of ways because they just can't throw the ball down the field and it's not a 
it's not the run game to set up the pass. It's just the run game to set up the run. And that's, we've seen in a lot of offenses that struggle with that quarterback across football, but it is really just a run game. And it really worried me when DeAndre Toy went out, I believe it was the second quarter. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was late or no, it was early in the second quarter. Yeah. Early second quarter. So he goes out, he had 11 carries in that time already, but it's nice having Isaiah Johnson back. It's nice having a Kaika Ragsdale back. Um, you know, AO Dai did his thing um, the past couple games. I still would rather have Isaiah Johnson and Kaika Ragsdale. That's no disrespect to Iowa Dai. He's a really good back. Um, but I would have rather have Johnson and Ragsdale. And they proved it, right? Johnson goes out there, 17 carries, 119 yards, touchdown. Ragsdale, 15 carries, 112 yards, and two touchdowns. So great, great game by them. Good game by the offensive line um, to really push around this Southern Miss front. So um, I, I just think that's what this offense is. Is just you're going to have to run the ball, which they did 59 times. You're going to have to run the ball <laughs> over 50 times a game in order to, to, to and be effective in order to win. Yeah, well, and it was sort of the same recipe as that opening night win against Northwestern State, which you don't feel like you should have to do that against an FCS team. But here we are. I mean, this is the team that it has been all year. Second most rushing yards since that Northwestern State game. Uh, and I did find the stat on the leading receivers. So Rod Burns is still the leading receiver with 44 grabs, 503 yards, and two scores on the year. Jason Pirtle is number two, 31 grabs for 260 yards and a couple scores. Then it's Damon Ward behind him with – 14 for 215 and two touchdowns. And then you got Bryson Jackson, Jair Shorter, despite only playing two games, still has the fifth most yards on this team. The fifth most receiving yards, despite only playing two games. Yeah. If they had, if they had, but if they had Bush and Shorter, I, I really think this offense looks different a little bit. Um, I still don't think Austin Ani would be, you know, great or lighting it up, but I think it would just make a huge difference if you had shorter and Bush. It's just, it's so hard to win games when Rod Burns and J- Jason Pertle are your top two receivers. And that's no disrespect to them. I know they're working. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, come off and as like, these guys suck, they shouldn't be leading it. But um, they're not Jalen Darden, not Jalen Guyton, not Rico Bussey. Um, I think they'll tell you that. And they kind of make it work with what they have. And that's a credit to them and their and what they've done. But, you know, without those big play guys, the offense is just kind of just grabbing at air. And that's what it feels like. It's just hope, hoping that something works. Yeah, well, and that's where it sort of came back to me. Um, the funny line that I kept hearing from the, the TV broadcast was North Texas is running this NASCAR offense. They're running so many plays, you know, over and over and over. Broadcast kept calling it a NASCAR offense. I hated the broadcast. (laughs) Oh, it got tiring after a while, but man, if it wasn't true, because I think that sort of speaks to some of what this offense is too, is they have to try to find any advantage they can by running so many plays back to back to back so quickly, because they're just not good enough to beat guys one-on-one consistently when the defense has time to set up and know what's coming. So they've got to do this quick stuff and sort of finagle their way into some more yardage, which... I think really sums up where this offense is at this point, which I want to get a little more into it because there were several times where Ani had receivers wide open on deep balls, or even if not wide open, they had a step or two and he just couldn't get the ball their way, which comes back to that point. I think even with the receivers out, they still have playmakers here who can make those plays and it's just Ani can't get them the ball consistently. Yeah. um, Those, those, long balls just look painful at this point. And I don't know what happened. I tweeted this last week. I don't know how honest Tanani got worse that 
throwing balls over 30 yards from last year. Some of it maybe is the confidence, I guess, in receivers, but he's completely just underthrowing them, missing them down the field. And, you know, he left the game like for like a snap or two and Jace Ruder came in. We we're like, okay, well, is Jace Ruder going to come in? Because I don't think this is going to be much better, but I was down just to see something. I was down to see Case Martin at this point, like just to throw anything out there. Um, I do want to credit uh, Austin because I think he found a rhythm. I think it was the third quarter. There was a stretch where he completed a few passes in a row. And I let me see. I, I have the quarterback chart up somewhere. But th- that was the one stretch. I was like, OK, Austin Ani has found a little bit of a rhythm. Here it is. It's why is it so small? Um, second. So from the second quarter, 339 left to basically the rest of the game. He went, what is that? Eight for 11, eight for 11. And that was where I felt like he found a rhythm. And so that was, that was kind of the, a different Austin on. I felt like they simplified it a bit for him. I mean, the completions went for, for well, 41 on the go that you mentioned, uh, seven, six, 13, 17, eight, 10, 14. So some, some solid, um, numbers in there. And, that was what I want to see more of from Austin. So I do think it's capable for him to complete the intermediate to short throws more mm. efficiently. I think he is capable of that, but the deep throws specifically, I don't think he has a chance in, in hitting. I don't think he's good enough to do that, but I will say the intermediate and short stuff, there is hope. I think that he can complete those on a more consistent basis. No, I agree. And that was sort of the funny thing to me is at times and I agree with you, Ani definitely showed flashes of being able to at least do some solid things for this offense. But at times, the walk-on freshman quarterback for Southern Miss, who wears number 24, by the way, looked like the better quarterback in this game. I mean, early on, I think he was like nine for his first 12 or something like that. Let's yeah. see, six, eight, nine. Yeah, nine for his first 12 passes. <laughs> so I didn't like, know he was a walk-on. I don't know how I missed that in the right. I did not know he was a walk-on. I just assumed. I'm pretty he sure was. he was a walk-on, yeah. I'm sure he was. It looked like he was a walk-on. <laughs> I mean, like he goes 17 of 25 for the game with a touchdown. Insane. Like, yeah, it's just, it's inexplicable that, you know, Southern Miss of all teams can find that kind of success. I don't care how banged up North Texas secondary is with a walk-on quarterback who you have wearing the number 24 can have more success than, you know, a guy who played professional baseball at one point, even on the minor league level, like, I know it's not the same sport, but there's no way Austin Ani should be the worst quarterback in this matchup. And I agree. He definitely had some times later in the game where he looked good, but he was consistency wise worse than a walk-on freshman quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is just looking big picture. I just don't, it's clear Seth Luttrell and, you know, the coaching staff tried to address this over the offseason with Jace Reuter, obviously. Like, this was – they, and, I mean, they in theory, they had Armani Goodwin in their back pocket as well, and I believe he's still on the roster. If, if he is, I honestly haven't – Yeah, Armani Gilmore, but yeah. Yeah, Armani – I'm sorry. I always say I'm Armani because there's a LSU running back, so I'm Armani Goodwin. Um, <laughs> whatever. Sorry. Uh, Armani Gilmore. Um, you know, in theory, this was going to be the year where you had a lot of competition. You could find a quarterback and stick with him. And somehow it just hasn't worked out to where any of them are capable here. And that's very concerning because we all know how important the quarterback position is, but 
you, you just can't win games. I mean, you look over at UTSA, Frank Harris, who I think last year, if you said Frank Harris or Austin Ani, who are you taking? I think a lot of people would have taken Austin Ani um, because Frank Harris just looks so limited and so in fragile. But at this moment, Frank Harris is lighting it up. And I don't even think it's only because they have a run game and a good team around him. Like you look at some of the throws he's making, he's actually throwing the ball and he's actually working the ball down the field. Um, and he's able to be a little bit more mobile. I just, I can't believe that, you know, some other teams are watching their quarterbacks develop and North Texas is, isn't. And that's what really hurts is that at the very least under, you know, a set the trail offense, you want the quarterback to at least be in a position where he's not, he's not one of the worst in the conference, right? You want to at least have a solid quarterback here. He should be able to move the ball on a consistent basis. I understand the injuries of receivers hurt, but you got a whole starting offensive line. I mean, your running back room is pretty healthy. I just, it, 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 it does suck to, to watch the lack of progression. Well, and the, the sad thing for me, we want to talk about Reuter bringing him in. There were other options on the transfer portal that have looked much better to this point. You want to look at Bailey Zappi at Western Kentucky. They bring him, the HBU offensive coordinator, and a couple of his receivers, and he's putting up some of the best numbers of any G5 quarterback across the country. Yep. So you have him out there as an option. You have Austin Kendall at Louisiana Tech from transferring from West Virginia. And yep. he's looked much better, you know, at times at least this year than Reuter has at all. Like there were better options and they just gambled instead on the unproven guy in Reuter who played like four games over like yeah, three, three seasons years. at North Carolina. So they go for the unproven guy instead of a guy who. I mean, you're maybe uncertain what the transition looks like from HBU to, you know, a higher level of competition, but clearly it's panned out much better. You know, there were guys out there who you could see having better years and having at least a better track record before this, but you decide to take the gamble on Reuter because, oh, he's got four years of eligibility. What good is that going to do you if he's not good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, 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 we've talked about it before, but like Case and Martin over here, like, the fact he's still not playable. I mean, the fact you, you go through the list of players, their quarterbacks, whether it's Martin Gilmore, Ani, um, Ruder. Um, obviously, I'm not going to throw Bryce Drummond in there. He just got here. But still, you go through that room, and a lot of teams in the country, I, I bet, and I don't know this for a fact. I don't even know this for like a hint of a fact, but most teams in the country do not have five scholarship quarterbacks. That is feels like it's abnormal I, I can't again i can't guarantee that it's abnormal i feel like it's abnormal and maybe that's just because i'm covering lsu that has two right now <laughs> so um well and they but, had will keeney coming into this year so they really had six guys six. even yes, if he wasn't on six. scholarship i don't know but they had six at the start of the year they had six and that was always the joke it's like how do you and that's why colin and i were so adamant that this jace ruder thing had to work out and that's why i went through the year like jace ruder's gonna start Jace Ruder is going to do this. He's going to do that. I can't guarantee he's going to be amazing, but he's going to start and they're going to give him chances to work because you spent a scholarship, another scholarship on a quarterback yeah. when you already have five in your room. So you add a sixth. And like I said, I don't believe it's normal to have five or six scholarship quarterbacks of your 85 players. It's not because then you look at the other positions secondary receiver offensive line you know even it might not sound like a big difference going from six to four or six to three but it is you add an extra scholarship 
you can add another transfer player at another position and add some depth somewhere else. Like having, and it, again, it showed, and again, this is why Jace Reuter needed to start. The development of your quarterbacks is not, is not good enough. Right. And so you bring in Jace Reuter, you're like, all right, he can hopefully start because it makes no sense to bring him here and waste another scholarship if not, but then he can't start. And so you're not only looking at the lack of development at the quarterback position, you're looking at the lack of evaluating talent, right? You're looking yeah. at how are you looking at this guy? And obviously I watched his film, but I'm hoping that they saw more than his film that, that on huddle to, to offer him. But, you know, on Huddle, he was he was a four-star quarterback. He's a legitimate guy. He's a big dude out of high school, but that was in 2018. This is 2021. Yeah. And so now I'm starting to question their evaluating, their evaluation of quarterbacks. Because obviously we all know what Mason Fine was, but he wasn't a guy that they had to like. He wasn't a dude who like nobody knew out of, but was a great talent out of high school. I mean, he okay, he was a great talent out of high school, but you know what I mean? He was a two-star guy. Yeah. Like this isn't a guy that like other people are missing on. This is a guy that people know of. They just didn't offer him. And so they got lucky with that. And since then they haven't been able to develop a quarterback. And that's the most concerning part for me is that it, it, it doesn't feel like something they can fix moving forward, even out of this year. Cause there's only three games left in this season. And it doesn't feel like the quarterback position is anywhere close to being settled. Unless if like you just get a mass exodus and a brand new, uh, go find another guy in the portal, I guess. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And I don't mean to spend too much time harping on the quarterback position, but like, I don't understand why Amani Gilmore is still on this team. If he's not even going to sniff a chance of playing time, I don't understand why case and Martin's really still on this team other than as like an emergency backup to put in when the two guys are injured. He's married. Well, in that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't understand why, some of these guys are on the roster. If there's no way in hell you're playing them, even when the top two guys are not good. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you keep five guys in the room. And this is sort of related to what you've talked about previously at the tight end position where they have so many guys in that room, but don't actually use them. You got so many guys in the quarterback's room. And even when both of your top guys are struggling, like it's just those two guys regardless, and you're not using any of the other depths that you have. So like, what, what's the point of depth if it's not actually good enough to play? Yeah, last year I was very adamant in playing one quarterback because um, I believed there was a answer. I believed Austin Ani was the answer last year and that he was better than Jason Bean in this offense specifically. If they had tailored the offense to Jason Bean, it would have been different. But this year we know Austin Ani is not the answer and we know Jace Ruder is not the answer. Um, yeah. I don't believe the answer is on this roster, but you can try something else here. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to burn a red shirt. Um, th that's the difference between last year and this year is that last year it felt like I felt like you had an answer. This year you don't have an answer at all. So, um, yeah, try things. I agree. The, the tight end room is still frustrating. I think did Jake Roberts even have a reception? I think he did, right? I think I thought I remember. Nope. Nope. Uh, no. Nope. I, I don't remember what I uh, Jake Roberts got called on a hold. I believe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't want yeah, yeah, yeah. to speculate. Okay. Yeah. That's what it was. So he played. Um, but again, you got Jason Pertle leading team reception Then I understand he's more of a record receiver, but like got Varkey's gums in there, man. You got like uh, Christian Lee, Hatip Lyles. These are dudes who are mid high three-star guys and you need to be able to develop them into guys who can contribute this year's basically over. They need to be like dudes next year. Farkey's comes yeah. 
uh, Christian Lee, Hatib Lyles, like you got on the list of Jake Roberts. These guys need to be dudes next year. And I, I feel weird talking about next year because like of the situation they're in right now, but the the development on offense is just stagnated and it's Jalen Darden felt like a complete is, is a complete outlier because I watched Jalen Darden work and that guy was going to be good anywhere. That's not normal. Some guys aren't good anywhere. You have to be in the right situation with the right coaching and stuff. So um, yeah, it well, is concerning. And, yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more actually about the tight ends because like when you don't have these outstanding quarterbacks, the tight end position, I mean, you hear it time and time again, these guys can be sort of a security blanket for the quarterback, right? They can go out there and make a bad quarterback look a little better, at least, you know, make an easy pass to the tight end. And we've seen Ani multiple times miss Pirtle on plays where he could have danced into the end zone. So again, even the simple plays where you could play a tight end and make it easier on the quarterbacks, even some of those like, Ani's finding ways to mess it up or Ruder at times found ways to mess those up early in the year. So like, I think you do, I think you might as well play more tight ends, but you can't exactly change the scheme too much at this point mid season. And it's like, I don't understand why that wasn't more of a focal point coming in unless they just thought they had these otherworldly guys, either Ani or Ruder, they were just really believed in them and thought with the receivers they had, they could do a lot of damage, but clearly they uh, either misread who their personnel were or were just naive enough to think it was going to work anyway. Yep. All right. Uh, let's wrap it up with, or I have one more topic. If you have any more, we can go ahead, but um, go for it. I was just going to ask what you think about Phil Bennett at this moment through nine games. Oh man. It's tough. It's tough because I don't, like you said, they only allowed the one touchdown this game. I mean, it's Southern Miss, one of the worst offenses in the conference, probably in the entire nation, but still, you only allow the one touchdown here. You do what you're supposed to do, but like the lack of discipline, I think for me, and even in this game, I don't know how many of these penalties were on the defense, but you still got nine penalties for 99 yards. So it's not like it was that much of an upgrade, really. So like, I don't know. I, I don't think... Like, I think this defense has been better and they've shown flashes of being, you know, a really good defense. But if you want to look at how they stack up in Conference USA, like scoring defense, they're number 11, only ahead of LaTeX, Rice and FIU, allowing 31.4 points per game this year. And only one of those was against a P5 team in Missouri. I mean, Liberty only dropped 35 on these guys. So like. I mean, and UAB, who hasn't even looked all that amazing as the year has gone on, scored 40 on these guys. So, like, I mean, I think Phil Bennett is a decent defensive coordinator, but, like, he's not been this otherworldly, you know, game changer for them that people, I guess, some people were hoping he would be. He's definitely helped this defense, I think, improve a bit, but these guys are too talented to be as bad as they are at this point, as you've said. They've got enough talent where they're going to do what they did to Southern Miss, but, like, with the talent they have, they shouldn't be allowing, I don't think, anywhere close to 31 points a game. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that – so if I go look at North Texas football schedule, I just remember going, going into, like, the game against Missouri. Marshall was another one. I just – Liberty, to a degree, Rice even. I go into all, all these games, and I'm like, North Texas defense should be good enough to give the offense a chance to win. 
Marshall was a prime example of that not being the case. And uh, I think that was probably the one that I go back to where I'm just like, they actually like folded because Marshall comes out and scores 42 in the first half. And yeah, the, the offense looks, the defense looks awful and inept. And that's, it's hard to erase that from my mind, right? It's hard to erase UAB dropping 40 from my mind. It's hard to erase LaTeX scoring 24 and a half or in like a quarter or whatever it was from my mind. Like, yes, there were a lot of good stretches throughout the season, but as a defense, you can't re- rely on like, oh, well, we held Marshall seven points in the second half. We held LaTeX to zero in the second half. Like, you can't hang your head on that after what I saw from you in those bad stretches. And so that, yeah. that's the concerning part for me is I, I want to say the UTEP game next, they'll be able to slow down UTEP. I really think on paper they should be able to. From a personnel standpoint, I think they should be able to hold UTEP to under 28 points pretty comfortably and have a shot, you know, down the stretch. But, like, there's been too many lapses, too many mistakes, too many stretches of bad bad play to for me to actually, like, feel comfortable saying that. So um, I, I think he's a fine coordinator, like you said. And I think I remember when he got hired, Colin and I were like, this feels kind of safe, right, for, for a defense that needs to get, like, significantly better. And they are better this year, obviously. Yeah. I, I think they are better th- this year. But they're, they haven't been good enough. They haven't been good enough. And that that's the whole thing. So no, I, yeah, I agree. And I just wanted to piggyback off that a little bit, like the moral victories you want to take early in the season, whether it's, you know, only one touchdown in the first half to SMU, you know, holding like outscoring UAB over the last like 10 minutes of the game or whatever it was until they had a late touchdown, like moral victories mean nothing when you have the schedule that you had, which coming into the year, we knew. SMU, UAB going all the way down to Liberty. We knew it was going to be a tough stretch of games, but we knew they at least needed to win one, if not two of those to have a chance to be bowl eligible. Yep. And here we are at the end of the season, you know, not at the end of the season yet, but getting there. And they didn't win any of those games in that stretch, any game in that stretch of tough games when, I mean, at least you have to win one of those, if not both. You face La Tech without their starting QB, still can't get it done because the defense isn't good enough in my mind at least, because you can't allow 24 points to the backup QB and offense, you know, early in that game. And even Liberty, when Malik Willis misses chunks of that game, they're still able to find ways to score against his defense. So, and you want to talk about Southern Miss early in that game with the walk-on quarterback still finding a way to do stuff to these guys. So like, I agree. There's just been too many times and I've highlighted this stat earlier, but there's so many big play touchdowns is what they've given up. Like they've had so many long stretches of where you feel like, hey, this defense is a good defense, but then they give up big play touchdowns that just cancel it all out. And it's like, well, what does it matter that you were good for two quarters or three quarters if you weren't good enough to actually get a win and you still gave up enough points to where the offense, as bad as it is, just couldn't come back? Yeah, exactly. And all the pressures on the defense, obviously, to win this team games. And so we'll see if they can do that because I just think it's too talented not to be – and I, I, the secondary is depleted, like we talked about before. So I'm not even including that. But like the front seven, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to lock down most teams in Conference USA at this point. So yeah. that, that I, I, I'm cool with Bennett. I, I think Bennett's a, a solid coach, but I, I'm not sold that he's you know he, he's been good enough. Yeah. I think when... I think there's there there is potential on this defense for them to have been a lot better this year. And that's the problem for me is I have a tough time balancing how much of that is on Bennett versus how much of that is just on 
the personnel and the guys in there, right? Because we talked about the continuity coming back from last year, having a lot of guys returning on this defense. How much of it is just the same guys coming back and these guys just aren't good enough, you know? That's just who they are at this point. I don't know. What, I mean, do you feel like it's more so just the personnel? I, I, I'm going to maintain, I think the defensive line is might be like the best defensive line in the conference, you say. Like, or like a top three defensive line in the conference, you say. I think talent-wise, I'll put them up with UTSA. I'll put them up there with, I mean, UTEP solid. Um, I mean, FAU to a degree. Like, you know, some some other um, – Western has a good defensive end. You know, there, there's some good defensive lines out there. I put North Texas with any of them. And I think the linebackers are solid in Conference USA. I've seen Conference USA the last five years. And I think the linebackers are fine. Um, the secondary is a little depleted, but – you know, that's, you can't be perfect. And I think that they're better than what they've, their stat, their numbers have done this year. So I think it is, uh, to me, I put a lot of it on, on Bennett and the, the defensive staff, just because I don't think, I think they should be better than what they are and what they were this season. Cause you're, it's almost the end of the season and got yeah. three games and they're going to have to win all three to make a bowl game. And that includes UTEP, FIU and UTSA. So Unless their APR is hell really good. <laughs> no, exactly. And yeah, uh, speaking to that UTEP game, UTEP just got beat down pretty good against UTSA last night, man. So, I mean, they're a good team, but that UTSA game is looking more and more daunting by the week. Now 9-0. Yep. UTEP has looked like a solid team. So two of those games at minimum are going to be, if not dogfights, impossible wins. Guess the spread for UTEP. The spread for UTEP North Texas. Cause I was right last week. I said five North Texas. I was, I felt good about myself. Yeah, man. That was spot on. When I felt um, good. <laughs> I, I think you, it's gotta be like UTEP by like. I'll go eight and a half okay, and that gonna, might be too much, but. I was going to go six and a half. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what, we'll see what it is, but that's, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what they're up against. You're going to be almost a touch, basically a touchdown underdog at home on a Saturday afternoon. That's, you know, these are the type of games you got to win. You got to win at some point when you're the, the, the underdog. And I don't include, even though rice, you were technically the underdog. That rice team is not good. Even though no. last year, middle Tennessee, you were te- technically the underdog dog. That middle Tennessee team was not good. Um, so the, it's, they, they've given them credit. They've covered the spread. I think like four of the last five weeks, but uh, actually no outside of the Marshall game, they covered against Missouri, La Tech, Liberty, and rice and so the miss so yeah. five of the last six weeks um so yeah i'm i'm interested to see how they do i am too man and i'll be i'll be down there next saturday 3 p.m kick watching uh utep north texas there in apogee stadium second to last home game of the year before utsa for the finale and you got fiu sandwiched in between which I mean, if you've been paying any attention at all to Conference USA football, FIU's garbage, one and eight this year, zero and five in conference play. I mean, just it, it, it's a, I mean, maybe even a worse game. They have the same record as Southern Miss to this point. So if yeah. they don't beat FIU by at least twenty, there's going to be some issues. I think. Imagine, thank God, UTEP is good. Imagine if UTEP was as bad as it's been the past two years, and you have a stretch <sighs> of Rice, Southern Miss, UTEP, FIU, like yeah. those four teams. If UTEP was bad again. And that's just the like four of the worst, like six teams in the country, just on a stretch <laughs> of games. Uh, but thankfully, UTEP's good. So we get to see them play a good team. Cause I mean, while yes, winning is awesome, uh, I, I do want to see them play good competition. 
No, I agree. I mean, what's the point of seeing, you know, a 38-14 win every week over a Southern Miss level opponent versus actually competing against a decent team? Even if decent for Conference USA is like 110 in the country versus 130th. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Anyway, I guess we can, I guess we can wrap it up unless you got anything else to say at this point. No, go ahead. All right, man. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Follow our podcast on SoundCloud. It's taking the fields now, recently uh, rebranded, obviously. I'm working to get it changed on the podcast, on the Apple podcast side. It's a lot. It's it's different. It's difficult compared to the the SoundCloud side, but we're working on it. Well, yeah. And at any rate, still leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We're still putting out that quality content for you guys. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at MeanGreen247. Follow Bruni at MatthewBruni underscore. Follow me at JohnFieldZero. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time.